With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mott. I think you'll listen. TNT. Okay, brace yourselves. It's Tuesday, the 13th of February, and I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, am I doing the lead-ins? Yes, I'm doing the lead-ins this morning. I'm all confused. There's so much happening at the minute. It's mad out there. It's a mad world out there, people, but Natalie Cheel and I and Gemma Cooper will attempt to navigate the good ship TNT through the turbulent waters of life once more again today. And let me just say this before we go any further, literally hot off the press, there's an old saying that when you're right over the target, that is when the flack is most intense. That is when they want to shoot you clean out of the air. And I've been very reliably informed, very reliably informed this morning by a little birdie. Yes, and I'm using these words very carefully, that TNT is under serious attack at this point in time, no joke, TNT is under serious attack at this point in time, but watch yourselves. Anyone that lifts their hand against this station, anyone that plots against this station, trust me, this is fair warning. I'm giving you fair warning this morning. Don't do it. Don't do it. It will end badly for you. And that's not a personal threat I'm making out here. It's just a statement of fact. Be careful if you try and lift your hand or your voice against this station and what we're trying to do, because from the get-go, from the get-go, I was told that we are going to try and do some good in the world. And that's what attracted me to TNT. So if you come against TNT and you try and nobble TNT, fair warning is served to you this morning, whoever you are that's listening to me now. Think twice, because it will not end well for you. So there you go. I think I've done my bit this morning. A messenger. Call me a messenger, if you will. Natalie. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Oh, I, I wasn't I'm intri this this morning. I wasn't either. Listen, this is the way it rolls here. This is the way it rolls. But anyway, we have an action-packed show this morning, and that was just a little sample of it, by the way. Uh, Gemma's going to be joining us in a minute. Uh, we've got Dr. Gavin Ashenden joining us. We've got James Goddard joining us this morning. But a little kickoff that we have going on here, uh, Natalie and I let the, set the ball rolling. And both of us, if the truth be told, are a little bit fascinated with death, aren't we, Natalie? Where, where does this do. death fascination come from? Where, where does it come know. from? Is it bad, bad uh, we, childhoods we, or what? We were both obsessed with reading about serial killers in our teens. So, you know, watch out for us. Maybe we'll turn into one in later life or something. But in the meantime, we'll give you these exciting stories uh so this is 189 <laughs> dead bodies were found rotting Ooh. in colorado rick uh what what more have you got to tell us about this oh one? i i could hardly believe this one 189 corpses dead bodies found rotting in colorado after a couple who offered an eco-friendly funeral service spent all the money on trips cars and cryptocurrency so they said we've got an eco-friendly funeral home if granny dies or granda dies uh, bring them to us and we'll dispose of them in an environmentally friendly manner and of course they charged a premium for this but the bodies were simply left in an unrefrigerated room uh, infested with bugs the remains the families received were actually bags of cement 
And I must admit, this made me chuckle. I don't understand why people put their dead relatives in urns and set them on the mantelpiece. But in this case, it was a bag of cement. So instead of getting granny back, you were actually getting a bag of uh, blue circle, ready mixed concrete to set on the mantelpiece. And when authorities searched the property, the floor was filled with the liquid of human de de decomposition. That sounds like a fantastic song title. I used to be in a death metal band. Uh, we were always hunting for nasty song titles and the liquid of human decomposition sounds like one of the gnarliest song titles I've ever heard. What do you think about that? Well, I, I did a quick read about it and basically people had complained uh, about it, but there's no real regulations for funeral services in um, Colorado. And the bodies were finally discovered after neighbours complained of the smell coming from the building. Authorities who responded uh, found a stain coming out the front door and it was the liquid of decomposed bodies. So it was actually staining the front door. And uh, he... Uh, he uh, the affidavits describe how the bodies were strewn across the room and John Halford was seen on surveillance video treating the bodies more like sandbags and throwing them around. So there you go. Wow. Uh, yeah, be very careful um, who, which funeral service you use uh, because you don't know what's going to be happening to your dead body. Hell's bells, hell's bells. This, the, the, the fluids from decomposition floating out and staining the doors, there would have been an opportunity there. You could have scooped some of it up into a bucket. I'm looking out at my garden fence here it hasn't been treated in quite some time. I don't yeah. want to go down to B&Q and buy some Ron sale. So it might have been cheaper uh, to shovel up a bucket of uh, <laughs> granny and granda and just slap them on the fence and you would have them <laughs> with you for all eternity. Plus, it would stop the rain from eroding your prize fence. Dead, but anyway, we're Can I just we're say dead. dead rot? Dead rot. It dead says rot. What it does. Oh. I mean, Ron sale. It does, says what it does in the tin. <laughs> so <there you> go. <laughs> Not just Ron sale does what it says in the tin, but John yeah. and Carrie Halford also very much do what they said in their tin or didn't, as the case may be. But anyway, uh, just something to set the ball rolling this morning. It's all very morbid and cryptic here this morning, but that's how we roll live and unedited and uncensored here on the one and only TNT, today's news talk. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's news talk radio, TNT. Oh, Gemma, Gemma, come into the conversation, please. What do you think about what we've been saying so far? Well, I, I just do think it is a, a real classic example of how we're live and unscripted because I was just like, first of all, I was very, very scared of you um, when you were, <laughs> you know, issuing your threat, non-threat to whoever's coming after TNT. And uh, I'm intrigued to know what you know, actually. We'll have to have a chat off air. Um, and then the, the the Colorado story. I mean, that was that was making me feel physically sick. That is just awful. An awful, <laughs> awful tale. I mean, what was going through their minds? You know, the disrespect of the dead. Um, and the relatives as well, you know, it's just that's just a really, really sharp indicator of how money and profit have literally come before, you know, the most basic of kind of human compassion, the, the, the dead. I remember my mum's funeral, you know, and the funeral directors, oh, my God, they were amazing. They were so lovely. And, you know, I was in bits for years after my mum died suddenly. Um, and and they, they were an integral part of my healing process, my grieving process, the way they looked after my mum in the chapel arrest and everything. That story is awful. That shows how low we've got as a society. Mm -hmm. They bloody invested in Bitcoin, you know, mm -hmm. oh, oh, horrible, horrible no. story. Yeah. 
And speaking of sinking down to the very depths, uh, we'll have a story to cover here this morning. It's blowing up everywhere, and I do mean everywhere. And it features, I'm glad to say this, the positive from this is it features uh, one of TNT's earliest guests, none other than John Watt, who is uh, terribly injured after taking the COVID vaccines. He had an opportunity uh, to speak last night to Rishi Sunak, and boy, did he unload both barrels squarely between Sunak's eyes verbally, of course, uh, what uh, what's the lowdown in this one, Gemma? Yeah, I mean, it has made the headlines. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, it's part of a television uh, sort of grilling that Rishi Sunak faced uh, last night. Obviously, we're in an election year and uh, he's he's determined to kind of get his message of do please vote for me, despite everything I've done, um, uh, you know, to the people. So uh, he was in the north of England and he faced questions on things that we discuss a lot, you know, here on TNT with our editorial stance on things. Uh, he, he faced questions on Rwanda, which we've talked about a lot. He faced questions on the NHS, which we seem to talk about weekly, you know, the state of the NHS. But interestingly, as you rightly say, uh, John Watt, a great friend to TNT, who's been on the station many times, uh, John Watt was allowed to take the floor uh, and confront Sunak about his vaccine damage, him and, you know, the thousands of others he knows, the support group he set up in Scotland. Uh, and he was very angry. He, he was very um, passionate. And he said, you know, he's been silenced. And he said, look me in the eye, Rishi, uh, see the, the pain and the, and the regret that I have have of doing what I thought was the right thing. My life is ruined. Um, and Rishi Sunak, you know, he he obviously knew this question was coming because all television debates, you know, including, you know, uh, the BBC's famous Question Time programme, the, the questions are vetted in advance, the guests are vetted in advance, and the, 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 the people coming on to the shows, they're briefed in advance so that everybody's got something to say. Otherwise, it's crap television. You know, somebody asks you a question and you say, oh, I don't really know anything about that. That's not what the producers want. So there's no doubt that this was a managed event uh, and Rishi would have known what was coming and he you know he, he didn't really he didn't really get into the meat and potatoes of the of the argument he did you know we didn't hear the word safe and effective he just said oh, I'm sorry you've been silenced and I don't want to comment on individual uh, circumstances so he obviously knew it was coming but the fact that it came at all I think is interesting and we were discussing this story before we came on air today on open line and you know we were discussing the potential pressure valve effect whereas somebody people will be watching this uh televised debate which was live um and think oh you know this question's being brought out into the public domain the prime minister's taken a question on this um that means something's being done because everybody's got anecdotal stories now of either death or vaccine damage everybody knows somebody this is a huge elephant in the room and the COVID inquiry has suspended until the election is over the vaccine part of the inquiry because you know allegedly ministers know what what they know about the excess deaths they just don't want to talk about it before the election they don't want to talk about vaccine harm so you know it's a topic for debate for the three of us a topic for the chat as well is this been done deliberately to kind of release the pressure that we're all feeling about the harms that the vaccines have caused um and and was it kind of a stage manage event to, to, to kind of you know ahead of the election to make everybody think that you know oh something's finally being done the government will admit they made a terrible health mistake yeah, Not I mean, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I, I, I think it was a PR stunt. I mean, PR stunt gone wrong, possibly. Uh, you know, I think they were probably told they weren't allowed to outright ask the question, how can you say that this is safe and effective? They probably weren't allowed to use those words. I also think it was set up by Rishi. He knew they were, they were uh, well, set up, I say, as in he knew the questions were coming um, and they wanted those questions so they could look sympathetic uh, to the vaccine injured. Uh, they know that this is going to come. 
come out in years to come. They want to try shift the blame to the doctors. Oh, you, we just trusted the science. You know, we're just sacking everybody that was in government at the time. And there is a vaccine pay, you know, uh, damage uh, compensation scheme. We're really helpful. We knew all about this all along. And I think they're going to continue drip feeding this. This won't be the first. We're going to see more little questions. They've chosen to put it into the mainstream media as well. That's not to say, by the way, I think uh, John is an absolute hero. I think you did an absolutely brilliant job. Uh, but I do think they were trying to exploit some of the people there who had been vaccine injured, sadly, for their own benefit, uh, as you, they often do politicians PR stunt. Yeah, if I can just say as well, you know, bits of everything that's been said here, uh, very relevant. Uh, of course, Sunak set that uh, that appearance of his up last night. And yes, he would have been versed. OK, we'll have someone in the audience that's vaccine injured. We've got somebody else that's going to talk about this. And whilst he would have been briefed on it without any question or shadow of a doubt, it's the delivery he could not have possibly factored in. And because John was so explosive and so passionate, there's no way they could have just cut him off uh, on air. So he was uh, briefed. There's going to be a guy asking a question about vaccine injury. You might want to prepare a statement to say, oh, we're very sorry to hear about that. You're in the minority, etc." But yeah. John really layered it into him. And then other people started piping in and Sunak was visibly Flummoxed. And they also come out with some bunkum statements, for example, that there was a compensation scheme in place. And that's been rightly highlighted that it's not, it's a payment scheme, but it's no way in any way, shape or form a compensation scheme. And it's also incredibly hard to get compensation from that. And anybody that knows uh, John Watt, uh, there was a brilliant clip off him last year. He was doing a rally somewhere. I can't remember. It might have been up in Scotland, but he had a large cardboard cutout of Rishi Sunak on the stage. And he was prowling around with a kilt on, as in John Watt was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Foaming at the mouth, understandably so. Uh, it's coming right from John's heart. And uh, he, he gave a big F you, Rishi Sunak, to the audience and then right hooked uh, the cardboard cutout and knocked the head clean of it. So there's no love lost whatsoever uh, from John towards Rishi. And uh, he rightly pointed out uh, that there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are currently suffering or being bereaved, tens of thousands, as a result of these jabs. And there's only so long they can actually keep the lid on this one. So I think definitely uh, this has got traction all around the world. And yes, very importantly, he did shift the blame. Squirmy little rat that he is, Sunak. Well, we were just following medical advice. We were just doing this. So yes, he was covering his ass, but he definitely was not prepared for the uh, fury that was unleashed upon him by uh, John Watt. Uh, Gemma, what do you say just in conclusion very quickly? Well, I think it shows how TNT have been ahead of the curve, you know, because uh, John's been with with us from the start. Really, you know, we've been giving vaccine injured a platform uh, on the on this particular media since the inception of TNT, um, and it seems you know the mainstream <clears throat> parts of the mainstream are realizing they they have to catch up because it is such a big issue. Um, it can't be ignored. You know, previously people might have looked at us and thought, "What are you doing?" But now everybody's got a story. That's the problem. Everybody's got anecdotal evidence of really someone they know or someone they know that someone's you know what I mean with this yeah, there's too much truth out there of direct lived experience to ignore it um, so you know kudos to us I think on a Tuesday why not um, for, for giving John a platform because it may well be that that's where people first came across him and that's how he, he ended up being on this debate last night but yeah it certainly garnered huge reaction um, and I, I, I think maybe if this debate had happened even a couple of years ago he wouldn't have got on um, but he did uh, and fair play he is extremely 
extremely passionate. Um, I know that you know him. I've not met the guy. I've not interviewed the guy. Um, but yeah, there was fury, fury, understandably so understandably so. And I think he was fury on behalf of everybody that he knows and the tens of thousands of people, um, you know, and it, it would have been helpful to throw in there, you know, why have you suspended the vaccine part of the COVID inquiry, which was supposed to happen this summer? You know, what is it that you don't want the public to know before the general election? So that would have been a nice one to nice little hand grenade to lob in as well. But he did well. It's garnered reaction uh, and it's made a lot of headlines this morning. It has, and it's shown the spotlight very firmly on the vaccine injured, which is a massive win, uh, and we're taking massive wins wherever we can get them here uh, on TNT and wider afield. Gemma, thank you so much for uh, highlighting that one for us this morning. We'll talk again in the next start. We've got to go to a quick break now, and then we'll be joined by... Doined? Doined? No, we will be joined <laughs> by Dr. Uh, Gavin Ashenden, so please don't go away. We'll be right back here on TNT. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. You are about to, about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Okay, uh, the action never stops here on TNT. Today's news talk. We're very happy to be joined for the first time here on Open Line by none other than Dr. Gavin Ashenden, who was former chaplain to none other than the Queen herself. He is an author. He's a columnist. He's what, in his own words here, not mine, a recovering academic and also an associate editor of the Catholic Herald. Good morning, Gavin. How are you doing this fine day? Good morning. I'm doing extremely well. Nice to be in your company. Good. Well, I'm glad you were able to join us. We're going to talk about something we touched on last week here uh, on TNT, which was, uh, how would you say, the Church of England being used almost as a springboard uh, to get asylum status granted in the UK. It seems to be they're having an abnormal amount of converts uh, to uh, Christianity, in inverted commas, via the Church of England. The baptismal tanks uh, are in full flow at the minute. People are being dunked left, right and centre and welcome open-armed into the, into the ranks and file of the Church of England. Surely that should be a cause for celebration, not scepticism on our part. What do you think? Uh, well, if this, was, if this was WYSIWYG and what you were seeing was what you were getting, then it would be absolutely a cause for celebration. I'm very much in favour of people becoming Christians because mm -hmm. I think that Christianity is simply the most uh, splendid 
religious philosophy available to humanity and it's created the best things in our civilization. So I'm not remotely worried about mm -hmm. being overt about the advantages of becoming Christian. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd offer them to you and everyone listening. However, mm -hmm. that's not what we're getting. <laughs> what we're getting is a scam uh, in order to perpetuate the Islamic immigration policy into this country and it should be caught and stopped. Mm -hmm. I, I was looking at that. I agree with what you said there. And obviously everyone uh, everyone has their own personal beliefs. Some people hold very dear to them. And of course, you're a big advocate of uh, Christianity, obviously with the, the, the business that you're in at the moment, and you would advocate it to people. However, uh, some people are playing the system or using it to play the game at the minute. And Gavin, I did a little bit of digging on this one last night, uh, and I unearthed an article from seven years ago. So this is something we're talking about now. But this was an article that uh, The Guardian published seven years ago under the title Christianity. And it said European churches say there's a growing flock of Muslim refugees uh, converting to Christianity. Anecdotal evidence suggests a rising pattern of Muslims become Christians, churches con conducting mass baptisms. And whilst, yeah, we can't, we can't judge people, we can't see into their hearts and know what their own personal relationship with God is. Some of them, of course, may be very genuine, but in reality, uh, the numbers of these churches are being swelled by people, maybe with ulterior motives. What are the Church of England doing to address this? Well, so first of all, let me disagree with you. We can see mm. people in his hearts. We must judge. Um, we, there's a there's a dreadful lib liberal trope that we're you know we're not allowed to judge people. Actually, judging is discernment. It's distinguishing between right and wrong, truth and falsehood. Of course we can look into people's hearts and judge whether or not they're hypocrites. Uh, and the fact is you can judge whether someone's a Christian, something changes in them. I've been mm -hmm. judging that the whole of my life and I'm quite good at, at seeing whether or not someone's simply acting nominally or whether some real transformation. I mean, one of the things that changes is your language for a start. Mm -hmm. So no, we can judge all right. Um, mm -hmm. The fact is, but the Church of England isn't judging because, I, I, well, I'm afraid, and this this one of the reasons I left Anglicanism and became a Catholic is because the Church of England is a conglomeration of different Protestant traditions held together by a state policy of having a state church. And it can't agree on what it believes, which is why it's gone so woke. Um, now, the idea of woke churches don't evangelize because they're relativistic. They think that one way is as good as another. You shouldn't judge, for example. Um, but actually, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the choosing good from evil covering light, light versus darkness, and uh, ab absolutely you can tell. Now, the trouble is the Church of England isn't doing this. It's not, it's not really ever been in the business of conversion to any large extent. Um, but what it's doing is allowing itself to become a backdoor to uh, a, a much misused asylum policy. And mm. one of the things that I think should change is, the, is, well, I think we have to change the very concept of asylum, because as I've talked about, Seem to have frozen. We seem there. to have. Uh, we seem to have yeah, frozen. To so have it's just frozen. us, Rick. Oh, it's just us. Uh, yeah, oh, uh, it's strange. Got to deal with us. Little grip. Oh, you're back. Sorry, Gavin, you froze there, so we missed the last uh, minute or so of what so you said. Uh, we're, I, we're, I was, we're almost I, up. We're I, almost up to time. Oh. If we can just uh, backtrack just a little bit yes. there. Obviously, I, I make a lot of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> comments uh, when I'm on air here, and when I said about judging people, well, I know that the Bible itself says, you know, you'll know people by their fruits. You know, a good tree can't bring yes. forth bad fruits, and a bad tree can't bring forth good fruits. But what I mean is, there's a lumping of everybody that has claimed conversion to Christianity that they're 
they're all asylum scammers. I suppose I was saying it in defense of maybe there are actual genuine conversions in there. However, it is being used for the most part as a scam uh, to get asylum. And as you rightly pointed out, uh, changed behavior, uh, you know, uh, is usually an outward visible sign of an inward spiritual grace. Can I get an amen to that? Very good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So um, the answer is you're absolutely right. And this is quite complex in the sense that there are many conversions from Islam to Christianity. I mean, at the moment, there are people I know in Iraq who are saying mm -hmm. that uh, Iraqis are having dreams about Jesus. They're getting hold of the New Testament. And there is such a phenomenon that they're living by as Christians by night where they meet together to pray to Jesus and read the Gospels and Muslims by day because uh, the, you, know, you can't social cohesion is such in Islamic societies that you can't convert without being in danger. There's no mm -hmm. doubt at all that, that Muslims are becoming Christians, but not by this means. No. <laughs> the asylum no. means uh, is, is, is uh, I, I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but I think what people are worried about is the fact that people are, you know, the Azidi uh, event is the, caught people's attention. Here was somebody who presented as a Christian, uh, was in fact a Muslim, went on living as a Muslim, was known as a Muslim to everybody. And none of the people who saw him through the gateway of Christian baptism either bothered or were in a position to check up on that. So we have a number of organizations that are not being assiduous. The church is one of them and the home office yeah. is, is the other. But the fact is a scam's going on. And if, if we're going to take uh, the whole business of asylum is seriously. We have to reconfigure what asylum is and who's going to offer it. And in my in my view, this may not be a route you want to go down. But I think the whole concept of asylum, as we as we received it after the Second World War, needs to be looked at again, dismantled and reconstructed. Indeed, Natalie. Uh, just a final statement or closing on this one before we take a, a quick headline break. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely think it's going on. There are also other people uh, claiming uh, uh, that uh, people are gay as well, not just going to the uh, Christian church. They'll also claim that they're gay in order to not be sent home as well. Uh, but I think there is a way. I mean, we say you can't judge, but in order to become a national citizen, you have to answer like a bunch of questions rather than some like sure. one priest being able to say, I can't see a problem in it. Actually, if you if you are, genuinely are converted, then you follow a full course. You you know mm. you have to you have to do it for a certain number of months and actually prove that you can do it. I can't see a problem with that, Rick. And then anyone who yeah. genuine it was a genuine case would be happy to do that. I'm sure. So that's not happening though, is it? So that's what I just no. wanted to point out. And uh, they're just claiming overnight that they're a Christian, which doesn't seem to be the case. And I'll head it back to you, Rick. Yeah, you have to walk the walk when it comes to Christianity, people. You have to walk the walk and not just simply talk the talk. Uh, Gavin, uh, we're out of time. We're coming up to a headline break. It's been an absolute blast uh, talking to you this morning. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to shed some light on your own perspective on this issue. That's uh, Dr. Gavin Ashenden. And maybe uh, we'll talk again sometime if you're up for it here alive on TNT. But in the meantime, don't go away. We'll be right back after these headlines here. Stay tuned for more on TNT. Time to read some news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US Vice President Kamala Harris says she's ready to replace Joe Biden if necessary, as concerns grow over his ability to run the country. US Defence Chief Lloyd Austin's been admitted into intensive care for the second time in as many months following his cancer surgery in December. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has denied supplying his Starlink internet service to Russian troops. And Syria says it's ready to go to war with Israel over its occupation of Golan Heights. 
on air, and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, we've got James Goddard with us now. Uh, you can follow him at X at James P. Goddard 90. Uh, he's an activist and citizen journalist. He's living in Thailand. I'm very jealous. It's hot over there. It's wet and miserable here in the UK. But he will be back in July when his ban from Parliament is lifted and he can start protesting again outside uh, Downing Street. And he's here to talk about the Ministry of Defence. Uh, they've got a diversity network. Yes, you heard it right a diversity network so one moment they're talking about conscription and uh, uh having a lack of recruitment and now uh cabinet officer minister john glenn ordered a review into the civil service and uh they've now got seven networks for lgbt issues 14 for race issues 10 for gender issues money being spent 309,187 staff 12 departments does this sound like a good idea, James? Uh, could could it be all this money be better spent elsewhere on the armed forces? Well, of course it could as well. But it, it's just crazy to think how this ideology has completely worked its way into all aspects of everyone's life, from police forces, fire services, ambulances. And now the most dangerous thing about it is it's in within the armed forces itself. Like our enemies abroad, not enemies abroad, but enemies of the crown and whoever else, they must be licking their lips at this because they must be laughing because I'm guaranteed in China they're not sitting there going, how many genders are there? Should we spend some more money on working out if someone's being discriminated against? Or I know, let, let, let's go and import some immigrants and turn them into uh, soldiers. Like, nowhere else in the West is doing this, but like the UK, it's absolutely crazy. And like you said, look at, look at all the money that they're spending. And that money could go, you know, elsewhere. Like we, we, we've heard for years how the army's been underfunded. The troops haven't got the right equipment. You could offer better training programs. There's so much that you'd be able to do with it. But again, it's it's this woke ideology. It's absolutely crazy. And I find mm. it a bit strange, James. We're told we're on the brink of a war, supposedly with Russia. You know, if you really were on the brink of war, would you be putting this as your first priority? You know, LGBTIA class groups uh, rather than actually uh, getting your soldiers ready for war but the thing the, the thing is with russia it, we're not ready to go to war with russia it's it, this is all a, it's all a big illusion to to trick the british public and if you notice yesterday the the retired army generals wrote a letter basically stating what the whole public's been saying for years but you notice they only said this after the conscription issue because they saw how it went everyone was like no i'm not fighting for this corrupt country you know these retired army generals they should have put they should have put this information out when they were actually serving in the army and they could have made a difference and they choose not to but it's like everything in the uk people people don't speak up or stand up because they don't want to get the harassment and the victimization that comes with it but ultimately if we continue to allow this to happen then we're not we're not going to have an armed forces to uh, to defend the country anyway are we no, and I've got to read this one out to you. The uh, They've got an army LGBT plus network and it facilitated a gathering of members of the army's trans community for Transgender Day of Visibility in March last year. That was a mouthful. And uh, this is what they wrote. The current toxic undertone in media, political and cultural discourse is affecting our people. Likewise, there are still incidences of active and passive transphobia and homophobia occurring within our service. As a final part 
parting shot, the Army Trans Day of Visibility will only remain necessary until the point of that inclusive behaviours are instinctive within the Army's muscle memory, its culture and the minds of all its people. I mean, what a mouthful. But is that really how the actual people in the army and the armed forces actually feel? These these networks, they seem to be talking for people on their behalf. But are they really? Is that how do you think everybody in the army actually feels? There's a problem with transphobia and homophobia? No, but I believe that what they do is the propaganda is to magnify the most extreme viewpoints. Like, I don't know any trans person that's in the army and but in my perfect, well, in my opinion, I wouldn't feel comfortable having them in the army. Only for the fact is that some of them with the mental health issues they have, they're not going to be safe on the battlefield to have somebody's back, yes. are they? Like, it's just it's just common sense. But this is the problem where it's infected. It's like, you know, you're you, you, you dying to meet these diversity quotas. And now they're on about bringing, you know, lowering the uh, lowering the entry requirements so they can get more ethnic minority soldiers. And it's it's scary that because, you you know, if you keep dropping the standards, that the, the the level of quality is not going to be as good. I can't believe what's happening in the UK. I really can't. Mm. What, what do you reckon, Rick? Do you reckon uh, there's a massive transphobia and homophobia problem within the army? Yes, and I'll tell you more than that. There's a massive, there's a massive everything problem within the army. And let me qualify what I'm about to say here. And I know we'll have some ex-veterans that are listening in at the minute. Maybe they could lend the, their voice to this uh, chat as well. I used to work in one of the largest army barracks in the UK. Okay, I was not in the army. I was a civilian, but we worked alongside the army. Okay, so I was surrounded by squaddies every day and I was hearing everything that they were saying every day and amongst themselves the banter never ended there was always piss taking there was always bullying there was always fighting there was always uh, mocking around and then you had the hierarchy there where if you were a, a lieutenant or a corporal you had to do what the sergeant said you couldn't talk back to him and people used those positions to bully other people now it wasn't everybody was doing this but every day I was seeing and hearing horrific incidents of horrible bullying and nasty name calling it it's not the place you want to go if you're a sensitive little soul. So what I'm trying to say is that anybody that signs up for the army, it doesn't matter if you're gay, it doesn't matter if you're straight or you're bi or you're trans or whatever you are, you're going to get rattled and you're going to get your legs pulled and you're going to get ribbed mercilessly. So if you're if you're a little sensitive soul, doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is or your mental health state is, you're going to get it when you get into the army. That should be actually a part of the recruitment process. They should beast you in the recruitment room and then say, now, are you offended by that? Yes, yes, I'm so offended. Well, then get out. The army is not the place for you to be. What do you reckon, James? Yeah, I completely agree with you. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's just groups of lads when they get together. That's what happens. It's just banter. You're taking the mickey out of each other. But but it's a very good point that you alluded to. If you know, snowflakes have got no place being in the army. If you can't be spoken to badly, if you can't handle a bit of banter, if you can't handle being bullied, then the army's not the place for you. The army is meant to protect the citizens of the UK. It's not meant to be a snowflake safe space. It's meant for men to be trained to protect their people. So yeah, I think you're bang on with that, mate. Uh, by the way, yeah. let me qualify one thing. Just let me qualify one thing. I'm not saying that it's acceptable that people should be slagged off and bantered and bullied and, and, and berated. I'm just saying it's the way it is, people. It doesn't matter what we... It's the way it is. It's the way it's always been. And it's probably the way that it always will be. So I'm not condoning it. 
I'm not condoning it. I'm saying it's the way it is. And if you can't hack but that, you should be made aware of that. I, yeah. Rick, yeah. there's a difference between banter and bullying. Yes. Uh, and what's I, next? As you were saying it, I was thinking about like, you know, like sibling, like brothers and sisters, yes. like 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 uh, bantering each other. Or I'm, you know, I, yeah, everyone knows I'm yes. a big pub goer. Uh, you know, yep. Man United fans, ribbing Liverpool fans. Are we going to start saying that, you know, uh, we can't do that anymore as well? Yeah. You know, everyone yeah. just has to be nice to each other. There's a, there's a big difference difference you know there is and uh uh, just before we go tory mp richard drakes said what we need is an army that is ready to fight no wonder what they should call each other and what gender they are um having served in the army i know we cared uh i know that all we cared about was whether the man or woman to our left or right could do the job and about nothing else that's the way it should be isn't it james it's just about whether you are capable of doing the job it doesn't matter if you're black white we're woman, gay, straight, bi, it doesn't matter. We just want people in the army that can do their job, don't we? Yeah, they, they've got to be competent. They've got, they've got to have the ability. If they've not got the ability, then they shouldn't be in the army because they're going to be a danger to themselves and a danger to the other people that they're trying to protect. It. I've had mates that have served in Iraq, Afghanistan, that have been out there and told me stories. And, you know, the people that are, they've got on the battlefield with them, they're like brothers because you've con- you're constantly having each other's back. So, yeah, it doesn't, like I said, it, it, if they're qualified enough, then, yeah, put them in. If they're not, go and find them another job. Yeah, that's it. That's and that's that's the way it should be. So rather than spending, I think me, uh, Rick, and James, uh, we're happy to take over from the diversity, uh, you know, and equality and inclusion and all that rubbish from the army. We'll do the job. We'll sit down. We'll give them an interview, and we can decide whether they are all right to join the army. That is my suggestion for the day. Uh, thank you, James. It's uh, time to come to an end. But don't forget, you can follow him uh, at X at James P. Goddard 90. Hopefully we can get you on again soon, but it's time to take a break and we've got more stories to cover here at today's News Talk. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. According to people, the Earth's temperature, and I say people because I don't really consider the people saying this actual scientists. They may have degrees, but since they're using temperature as a metric for climate, they don't know what they're talking about. But according to them, this has been the hottest year on record, 2023. Now, that's interesting because the world population has gone over 8 billion. In fact, there are close to 70 million new people on the planet than there were back in 2022. Or put it this way, there are 70 million more. Now, I can't figure out if things are so bad, how come the population continues to increase? I mean, aren't we at a hellhole right now? Now, I realize most of you don't have degrees in meteorology, and that's fine. What we were taught at Penn State, back when Penn State used to not be a climate indoctrination school, well, maybe they're not now that Michael Mann has left and gone to the University of Pennsylvania, but we were taught that temperature is a very poor metric for climate. Wet bulb temperatures are a much better metric because, after all, water vapor is very important, right? So. If you know how much energy is in the air, and you know that a lot better with a wet bulb temperature, then you get a better look at it. See, it could be hotter, but if it's drier, there's no real change in the amount of energy in the air. Better than that, though, is saturation mixing ratios. Now, this really quantifies the water vapor. So let me ask you a question. If you want to track down the source of what warming is, would you use something that doesn't correlate at all to the temperature, CO2? Or would you use something that has a direct correlation to the temperature, which is water vapor? 
This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez, and normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood, as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, time is absolutely running away like an express train with us here this morning. It's quarter to the hour. Where has the time gone? This is open line. Natalie and I uh, are willing, ready, and able to take your calls if you want to give us a call and you have anything to say. Also, uh, just to make you lovely people aware that there is uh, the Assange trial uh, is looming imminently on the horizon, 20th to the 25th. 1st or 22nd of February at the High Court down in London. Of course, TNT will be there live and on the ground covering all the events and dealing with any aftermath from that as well. So make sure uh, you keep it locked in here to TNT Today's News Talk during that time because we will be covering all the breaking events from that Assange trial that could potentially lead to his extradition to America to face trial for treason and effectively the remainder of his life spent banged up in solitary confinement. Horrible position for him to be in. Some great uh, messages in the live chat uh, this morning. Natalie, just a shout out uh, to uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, who agreed with the statement that you made. He said, uh, absolutely not. There's a massive difference between bantering and bullies. Uh, it's a fine line sometimes, 100%. And then uh, Dud also says there's a big difference between taking the mick and having the crack, as, as they say, as opposed to being a nasty, vindicative bully, B-A-S-T-A-R-D. And that's also 100% correct. And unfortunately not with an uh, company or a organization as big as the army you're going to get some great people in there you're going to get some middle of the road people in there and you're going to get some downright nasty people in there as well but yep. that's just the way it is and more needs to be done to clamp down in the vindictive bullying rather than the mick taking and the leg pulling and the band yes, which is that, part that's of the course really exactly that and uh, it seems a good time to move to the next story because this is about the police and uh, the police are doing more vindictive uh, bullying. This is in Devon and Cornwall Police. Uh, they are accused by seven women of failing to investigate serving and former officers of domestic abuse and sexual violence. Uh, so it's basically more stories of uh, police corruption. If you go through it, you've got officers who were actually promoted to jobs uh, some of them actually within violence against women whilst they were under investigation themselves uh, for rape, 
for violence against their partners. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty bad reading when you go through it. You wouldn't have thought you'd be allowed a promotion while you're still going through an investigation against um, any abuse against your current partner. But that is uh, the case, I think, in seven cases here in uh, the Devon and Cornwall police, Rick. Yeah, there's this perception, Natalie, as well. And somebody, I saw a video last night, a great um, uh, interview with an ex-Navy SEAL, okay? And he said, you know, when you tell someone you're in the SEALs, they immediately think you're this pinnacle of soldiering. You're this uh, diehard commando. You're a war hero. You're to be respected. And he said, and of course, to get to that position, you have to go through hell and you have to prove yourself to be super efficient, the, the pinnacle of soldiering. However, he said, it also attracts a lot of absolute abject psychopaths into that sociopaths, people that are horrifically abusive towards their families, yes. uh, commit horrendous war crimes when they get into the battlefield. In some cases, I'm not saying every case. So there's also a perception when you tell someone, oh, I'm in the police, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor. These so-called prestige professions, people automatically assume that the people that are in those professions, they're all angels or they don't set a foot wrong. But the reality is very, very different. And I think the fact that we're constantly covering stories where cops are using their position to abuse power and also abuse physically, mentally and sexually, some of the people that are in their care uh, is a very sobering uh, thought altogether. It, everything is not what it seems. Yeah, I mean, I know a couple of weeks ago we discussed this um, with Refuse Nick Paul, but this seems mm. to be more evidence uh, for me about the police looking after each other. They knew mm. this was going on, but they would rather back the police officer than actually back the victims. And that, like you said, I'd written in my notes, um, I, it's kind of known that they're at the police. You know, like you get bouncers who can be bullies. A lot mm -hmm. of policemen are bullies. That's not to say that all are, by the way. Some, mm -hmm. of the do, some are excellent, non-corrupt and do a great job. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, some people go into that job because they are bullies and there seems to be a high level of domestic violence by police members themselves. Is that because they're bullies? They're bullies on the job. They're bullies in their home. And, uh, you know, when the women have come forward to, to say something about it, they've basically been dismissed. Uh, there was a couple of incidents here, I could say, um, if I go through here. The female officer, um, she'd been beaten up by her ex-partner. As soon as the police got there, uh, she said the neighbour the neighbor had recorded it as a crime as well. But it emerged one of the officers knew her ex-partner and nothing was done about it and walked away and it hadn't even been, it hadn't even been looked at. Um, there are other ones here as well. I mean, it goes one after the other. Basically, if the police knew them or they were in the police, it got dismissed and no case was actually brought against them. Uh, so it's a case of, you know, you rub my back, I'll rub yours. Uh, should that kind of culture be into the in the police force at the moment, Rick? Aren't we better than that? Yeah, we, well, we should be, Natalie. And here's the problem with a lot of these rotten societies or these rotten people that are working within various institutions. Yes, we should be better than that. And yes, they should know better. And yes, they should stamp down. And yes, the army should curb vicious, vindictive bullying. But sadly, there's no fear of repercussion for many of the people committing these uh, acts. Not only do they not get reprimanded, but many of the times they get promoted. And then, of course, ranks get closed. That old expression, uh, cl they closed ranks amongst each other. We see it with politicians as well. We see it with bankers. We see it with any group of people that are committing wrongs upon other groups of people. They tend to close ranks amongst themselves. And rather than whistleblowers being commended, whistleblowers are demonized and very often uh, they're sacked or, or, or they are the ones that lose their jobs. 
like that case with Refusenik Paul we talked about. There was a young whistleblower uh, told about this woman uh, that had been uh, body cam footage and he was sacked. The other cops he were was? simply reprimanded and allowed to keep their jobs. So for as long as that's in place, Nat, we're never going to see this culture being attacked unless no, it doesn't fear seem of to be. And all that's happening here, so it's seven women, uh, legitimate claims. They are do say that they are going to take legal action against the force. But all that's happened is Assistant Chief Constable Jim Pierce of De Devon and Cornwall Police said the force have been made aware of the information and now they will uh, do a considerate and appropriate review. That's all we seem to hear about it, isn't it? Review after review while the same culture continues. Mm. Um, and uh, moving as well to another uh, police story. Mm. Uh, we covered this before. Uh, this is uh, now uh, from Ireland and the Garda. Uh, we're going to have more older uh, policemen or women mm. or, no. or, who, or, or whoever they are um, over in Ireland. Tell us a bit more about this one, Rick. Well, the cops are in Ireland. They're called Angordi Shikona. That's the Irish police force. They're having a recruitment crisis at the minute. They can't fill the ranks and there's a lot of people quitting. They're bringing people in and then they're quitting very quickly or they're not recruiting enough people, Notley, to fill the amount of people that are either retiring or just simply quitting the force altogether. So uh, a total of 6,381 people have applied to become police under a recent recruitment comp competition. They describe it as a competition. Uh, this was the first recruitment drive since entry to apply uh, since the trainee limit was changed from 35 to 50. So imagine that you say, uh, well, what's your job? Well, I'm a trainee policeman. What? what? You look a little bit old. You've got gray hair and a walking stick. Yeah, but they're taking me in now because they're so desperate for recruits. So let me say this. In case anyone says you're ageist, Rick, I'm 50. So I'm qualified to talk about this. Not like sometimes when I stand up after sitting down for a long time, I groan in agony. My back cracks. I could barely tie my own shoelaces right now. You would not <laughs> want Rick Munn to be on the beat, especially if there was young, fast and nimble criminals in the area. I don't know. Maybe I could visit old folks' homes and give them awareness. You know, keep your windows locked at night. But don't expect me to go running around after people. Not I know there's fit 50-year-olds out there, but Look, come I on. Mean, 50 is a trainee got... cop. Give me a break. I've got no problem that they raised raised uh, the yes. age in itself. Uh, well, I go down to the climbing centre and I can tell you there are some unbelievably yes. fit uh, men and women who are 50 plus. Like some yes. of that, like they can do the most difficult courses, but they are a small, small minority. Yes. You take the average 50 year old in the UK. Most of them are overweight. Most of them mm -hmm. could barely run down the road, let alone uh, run a marathon or, or pass it. <laughs> That'd be right. Or, or pass. <laughs> any type of police fitness test so or yep. by all means you know if you've got an extremely fit you know man or female in yeah. their in their late 40s i have no issue with the becoming police uh, nope. men or women but but let's be honest um we don't that, see that, let's, they we say don't it's see more that. than a third of the new applicants more than a yeah. third are, have been between 35 and 49 and how many are going to pass the test so they've now are uh, these applicants have now got to go through the normal test that you do to um, find mm. uh, become a police person Please, man, woman, I don't even know what to say anymore. Even I'm confused. Diversity, inclusion, they're getting into my brain today. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I can't see. I want to see the figures of the third that uh, have applied who are between 35 and 49. I want to find out how many actually become policemen. 
Uh, the I other mean, thing is too, by the way, and hundred percent agree. There are uh, exceptions. There, in fact, let's be honest. There's fifty, sixty year olds that would put many twenty year olds and teenagers to shame uh, because they're super fit, but they are in the minority. They're they're extreme outliers. And I think yeah. the reason why you're seeing a lot of people applying for this is. Uh, a lot of people in their 30s, 40s and 50s are losing their jobs in Ireland. And if you try and go into the employment market at 40 or 50 years of age, only having done one occupation, it's extremely difficult to secure another decent job, especially there's a lot of ageism. There is a lot of ageism in selection and there is a lot of uh, prejudice there with regards to skill sets. So this could be a lifeline for many people that maybe want to work and have yeah. no other job options. However, look at the amount of times we see these cops especially when this is just public footage, by the way, and I know not every cop is a fat, overweight uh, donut muncher, but we do seem to see a lot of them around there. Hell, some of them even, I've seen cops around here, you know, with bulletproof vests on. It looks like they've had to put two together because they can't do the straps up uh, at the side because the old spare tires spilling out there as well. So, uh, you know, all I'm saying is you should be fit for purpose. So if every cop is 50, but fit, unwell and mentally sharp and wants to do the job then get 50 year olds into the police but the reality is they're outliers Natalie they're not the norm yeah no and it's not going to solve the that they're trying to claim that this is going to solve the recruitment problem in the police that's certainly not the case um, and we've got Nuck in the online chat he says oi I'm 55 and I'm well fit apart from running <laughs> and climbing stairs etc and then hidden in uh, plain sight says I'm well over 50 and I can run I usually have to as I have a difficult girlfriend so there you go those are, <laughs> th those are our um, uh, examples here of 50, 50 year olds and how fit they are uh, but we've got yeah. time for one more story Rick, shall we yep. move to Australia? Yes, uh, we're we're on the same wavelength here. I didn't know that we were going to jump onto the Irish police. And then I was looking uh, at the Australia story here. This is a little bit of a sad one. However, it is indicative also of what's going on here. So it's not just uh, confined, obviously, to the UK. We're having mental health crises uh, going on. This is a report that came out for Australia. number of young Australians in psychological distress continues its sharp rise. So it's not even the fact that they're there or that the numbers are plateauing, Natalie. It's the fact that they're continuing to rise sharply. Uh, the annual Hilda survey of 17,000 Australians shows a clear trend of younger people becoming lonelier and feeling more isolated, uh, experiencing surges of psychological distress uh, and so on and so forth. So the numbers, Natalie, are very telling. They're not static, they're not diminishing, they're rising and they're rising sharply in Australia. Yeah, it's really, really sad. Um, it says it started during the pandemic. But for me, you know, I read the article. It's of a review done and a report all over Australia. I think for young people, it's not great. Uh, just like the, their way of life now. I think there is too much time on digital screens. There's not enough human connection. Um, I think it's extremely difficult having social media, the level of kind of bullying that you get online. And they even said, you know, things like vaping and e-cigarettes are making a difference as well. Vaping among the young is absolutely huge. That's not helping in, in terms of that being a health issue as well. Uh, so I think, you know, we, we, I would like to think that as older people, we should be making it better for younger people. Um, and I think at the moment, it's not a particularly promising future. They are very lonely and uh, there isn't many outlets for them to turn to at the moment, Rick. 
No, there's not. And uh, again, when we sadly highlight so many stories here, Natalie, on Open Line about how money is squandered and frittered away yeah. on diversity departments in the army, on painting rainbow crossings in local councils when most of them are struggling financially, on money being squandered on woke nonsense. When you think about these crises that are uh, underway right across the world, especially with our young people, which is the next generation, okay, more needs to be invested into them, more needs to be done to fund their services look at the story we covered here about a, an adult learning center in my town closing yeah. uh, 50 adults with learning difficulties now effectively being told find somewhere else at the end of march but yet we can find the money to squander on recycling uh campaigns and you know put your plastic bottle in the right bin when people are struggling with their mental health and maybe committing suicide or self-harming yeah. it's disgusting altogether and yeah. i know i know it's a, a subject close to your heart yeah, absolutely. There isn't enough money going into it. It's almost accepted now that young people are going to be lonely and struggle with their mental health. That shouldn't be the case. I did quickly want to point out before we have to go to the to, to the end. Uh, it says, increasingly, there have been fewer Australians tying the knot with the trend now significant. I was going to uh, uh, say the other day, I've got uh, more, I've reached that age where all I seem to hear about is funerals anymore. I get no wedding mm. invites. I hear about nobody pregnant. Is that a sign of the times or my age, Rick? Who knows? It's your age. Uh, when you get in oh, another no! 10 years, listen, in another 10 years, I have started checking out the funeral times, looking for people oh, that I know that have now. I'm not joking. Once a month, I check the local funeral times. Oh, yeah, I remember going to school with him. He's dead. I remember oh, no. her. She's I shouldn't dead. even be laughing. When it's you're terrible. 50, you'll remember this conversation. You will be scarring the funeral times. It's bad enough at 40. It's oh, a bit worse the obsession oh, no. gets worse with death as you get older. But listen, uh, it's been an absolute mad, mad mental, fantastic, amazing. Started with death, ended with death. Here. Starting and ending with death, we bookend the shows with death. That's what we do here, Grim Reaper style on TNT. Don't go away, I'll be back after the news with Gemma, Kit, Knight, uh, Kit Clarenberg, and Rob Hutchinson. Plenty more to come on Locked and Loaded. Stay tuned, we'll be back very shortly.